My generation, the dad. We hear them with young, impressionable ears, and a lifetime is insufficient to shake them. In Brown's case, this was all to the good. He gives here just a modest hint of his financial bloodlines. His father, Howard Brown, was a stockbroker who, in 1945, helped to found Tweedy, Brown, and Riley, the firm where the author has long been a principal. To call the founding generation brokers is a gross generalization. They were Wall Street specialists of a peculiar ken, who put together buyers and sellers of shares in small, thinly traded securities for which no broad market existed. By definition, then, their customers were those who were drawn to the underlying value of a stock, as distinct from the market trend. With respect to these stocks, remember, there was no active market. Indeed, one of the firm's early and most active clients was Benjamin Graham, the pioneering professor, financial writer, and money manager. Graham essentially created the discipline of value investing, and his disciples became its first practitioners. Among this small but devoted tribe, Tweedy Brown was immediately established as virtually hallowed ground. The firm took office at 52 Wall Street, down the hall from Graham himself, the better to get his business and presumably his counsel. It eventually expanded from brokerage into money management, that is, to investing, in which it naturally employed Graham's approach. Value investing is easy to describe, even if it is not always easy to execute in practice. It consists of buying securities for less than their intrinsic worth, of buying them on the basis of their underlying business value, as distinct from what is happening at the superficial level of the stock market. Remember those mysterious fellows who bid up Polaron stock on the basis of its earnings? They were on to something. Since the game is about price and value, that is, paying less than what you are getting, it is not surprising that value investors tend toward beaten-down securities whose prices have been falling. They are the mirror image of momentum investors, who get excited as prices rise. As Christopher Brown explains, buy stocks as you would groceries, when they are on sale. But we are not quite finished with the father. One of the stocks the older Brown dealt in was a beaten-down textile manufacturer in New England, Berkshire Hathaway, Inc. Graham nearly bought it in the late 1950s, but decided to pass. But one of his young associates and former pupils at Columbia Business School, Warren Buffett, took an interest in Berkshire. And as textiles were having their troubles, the stock kept getting cheaper. By the early 1960s, Graham had retired, and Buffett had his own firm. And Buffett, as we now know, did buy Berkshire. According to the younger Brown, it was his father, in his brokerage capacity at Tweedy Brown, who bought most of the Berkshire Hathaway that Buffett owns today. Few stocks have ever turned out better. Buffett started buying Berkshire at less than eight. When he cashiered the management a few years later and started to remake the company, it had risen to 18. Today, each share of Berkshire fetches $90,000.
The Brown lineage thus connects directly to Buffett as well as to his teacher, Graham. In value investing, you cannot do better. One of the curiosities of value investing, given the successful examples of Graham, Buffett, and numerous of their disciples, including Tweedy Brown, is why the discipline is practiced so infrequently. What is it that stops investors from adopting methods that have consistently worked for over seven decades? Investors are nothing if not anxious, and in this case, I suspect their anxiety has something to do with the question I wrestled with as regards my earliest investment. Say that a stock is cheap. How does one know that it will remain so? Why, in other words, should earnings at the corporate level drive the price in what is, after all, a secondary market for traded shares? J. William Fulbright, a U.S. Senator, actually put the question to Graham during the mid-1950s when Graham was testifying on the market. It is a mystery to me as well as to everybody else, Graham admitted. We know from experience that eventually the market catches up with value. The issue is taken up at length in the present volume, and, as you will see, it is a mystery no longer. A whole industry exists of folks, including the author, who continuously assess what stocks are worth based on their sales, profits, cash flow, and other business indicators. Let a stock linger at too much of a discount, and some sharp-eyed operator will attempt to acquire it, based on the same calculation of profit. The business value thus acts, over time, as a floor beneath the stock price. It is what gives value investors such confidence. Why, then, is value investing still so unconventional? Brown suspects it is a question of temperament. Given the vagaries of markets, he does not know, he cannot know, whether it will take a week, a month, a year, or even longer for the value in a stock to be recognized. Many people do not have the patience. They are eager for instant gratification or for validation from their peers. We need not dwell on the point, for it is the hesitation of the many that creates the opportunity for the few. For those who do have the temperament, the profits will be validation enough. This book is one of the very few that will give you the tools. The rest, dear listener, is up to you. Roger Lowenstein Introduction you need to invest, but you don't need to be a genius to do it smartly. More people own stocks today than at any time in the past. Stock markets around the world have grown as more people embrace the benefits of capitalism to increase their wealth. Yet how many people have taken the time to understand what investing is all about? My suspicion is, not very many. Making knowledgeable investment decisions can have a significant impact on your life. It can provide for a comfortable retirement, send your children to college, and provide the financial freedom to indulge all sorts of fantasies. And sensible investing, which can be found in the art and science of the tenets of value investing, is not rocket science. It merely requires understanding a few sound principles that anyone with an average IQ can master. Value investing has been around as an investment philosophy since the early 1930s. 
The principles of value investing were first articulated in 1934 when Benjamin Graham, a professor of investments at Columbia Business School, wrote a book titled Security Analysis, the first and still the best book on investing. It has been read by millions through the years. So, value investing is not the new new. It is, in fact, the old old. This approach to investing is easy to understand, has greater appeal to common sense, and, I believe, has produced superior investment results for more years than any competing investment strategy. Value investing is not a set of hard and fast rules. It is a set of principles that form a philosophy of investing. It provides guidelines that can point you in the direction of good stocks and, just as importantly, steer you away from bad stocks. Value investing brings to the field a model by which you can evaluate an investment opportunity or an investment manager. While investment performance is measured against a benchmark, like the Standard & Poor's 500 or the Morgan Stanley Capital International Global and International Indices, value investing provides a standard by which other investment strategies can be measured. Why value investing? Because it has worked since anyone began tracking returns. A mountain of evidence confirms that the principles of value investing have provided market-beating returns over long periods. And it is easy to do. Value investing takes the field out of the arcane and into the realm of easy comprehension. Yet in the face of compelling evidence, few investors and few professional money managers